So our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 10, uh, verses 1 to 24. Uh, Now, in the beginning of Luke chapter 9, if you've been with us, you'll remember this. If not, I'll just give you a quick background. In the beginning of Luke chapter 9, Jesus commissioned and empowered his 12 closest disciples, and he gave them his own authority over diseases and over demons, and he sent them out into the surrounding towns and villages Uh, with the mission of proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. In fact, the Greek word for sent is apostolo, which you can hear the English word apostle. And so they were sent, they were called the sent ones. And so, uh, and, and this isn't surprising if you've If you're familiar with anything that comes after the gospel writings, you know that these 12 men, these apostles, like they were the foundation. They were the ones who would begin the New Testament church. And so it makes sense that Jesus would call them and send them. They had been hand-selected by the Son of God himself to be these 12. The the 12 was significant even. It It was a sort of a reordering, like showing like the God's plan for his people Israel was continuing, but now expanding beyond just the nation of Israel, these 12 representing even the 12 tribes. These guys have been gifted to teach and to serve. Uh, they are, uh, they have been trained to speak and to discern the needs of those around them. But the question is, is is it just the apostles that were gifted and even called to do these things? We live in a really, here fast forward 21 centuries, we are in a very uh, specialized, I don't know, culture. Everyone has a specialty. You don't just go... I mean, the, the guys who go to medical school and just decide to get a general uh, physician's doctorate is like, oh, well, you couldn't hack it, you couldn't specialize. Uh, like, we expect everyone to have some kind of special niche that they do. And is that what the apostles are? Are they the special niche group? Is that what your elders are? Are they the special niche group that, that does the the heavy lifting, the spiritual stuff of the church. And we'll see here in Luke 10 that uh, that's not Jesus' intention. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke 10, verses 1 to 24. This is the Word of God. It is faithful and it is true. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one in the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, 
Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they, what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have given these things, you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. It was cold. Uh, there's no denying that. It was definitely cold, but it was winter, and you would expect it to be cold, but it was colder than it should have been. And as Amy and I stood in front of the thermostat, it read 58 degrees. That was after 7.30. It was time to put the kids to bed. It was long after any HVAC guy was planning on going out into the cold night. And so I thought, you know, let's just make the most of it. A couple of extra blankets, never hurt anyone. Uh, you know, maybe we'll put a fire in the fireplace, maybe sleep in the living room. Amy had a different idea. You look at it. 
Now, it was a natural gas HVAC unit. I've still never seen one like it since then, but it was a natural gas, both heat and air conditioning unit that sat outside our house. I knew, I knew my way around it like I knew my way around the back roads of North Dakota, which is to say I did not know anything about it. If I look at it, I said, that's exactly what will be accomplished. I will have looked at it. Uh, You should at least try, she said. Did I mention that it's a natural gas HVAC unit? I could picture myself out in the freezing November air, poking and prodding this unknown beast until it finally woke in anger and incinerated my body. (laughs) At least the HVAC unit was outside of our master bedroom so that my charring body would provide warmth to my widow and fatherless children. (laughs) And really, that's all she cared about. Now, my kids tell me I'm dramatic. I, I don't really see it. But then she said the three dreaded words, the three words I hate even to this day. Call my dad. Do you remember last week some crazy guy up here preaching about pride? That wasn't me. I don't know why even now it bothers me when she suggests that. I, all I hear in those three words are failure, inadequacy, incompetence. It's odd that I would rather put my kids to bed in a house that will pass 50 degrees in the evening than call my father-in-law in Cleveland just to see if we can talk about this. So I grabbed a cordless phone and a flashlight and a couple screwdrivers and a hammer and a pair of pliers, and yeah, it was a cordless phone. And back then, speaker phones meant the bass had a speaker. So like, it's the phone and a flashlight and all of these things, and I'm talking out there. I didn't even kiss my wife goodbye. I thought at the very least she'll have that memory. So I'm going to shorten the story for you. In less than five minutes, maybe less than three minutes, the heater was working, and I never experienced another problem with that unit, whether for heat or air conditioning, for as long as we lived in Raleigh. Do you ever feel like you're being asked to do something that is way beyond your skill set? And not just beyond your skill set, like if you were honest, it's beyond what you really want to do. Do you ever feel that way about Jesus' expectation that we all be involved in spreading the good news of his kingdom? That it wasn't just the apostles. It was all who would call themselves followers of Christ. 
It's not just church leaders. It's all who today call themselves followers of Christ. We are expected to spread the good news of the kingdom of God in every place that we go. In this passage, Jesus appoints and sends out not the 12 apostles, but 72 regular followers of Christ. It gets confusing in the Gospels because it talks about disciples, and sometimes when it says the disciples, it means those 12. But disciple just means follower. And so all of the people that followed Jesus were disciples of Jesus Christ. And he sends these 72 out to go ahead of him into the towns that he's preparing to come to to preach the good news or spread the good news of the kingdom. And he instructs them and and he empowers them and he even rejoices over their accomplishments. And all of this gives us sort of the, the hows and the whys of spreading the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, since Jesus here tells us that he sent his disciples out two by two, Uh, I thought we would look at this passage in in sort of two-by-two sets, not for any reason other than it's clever and nobody wants an eight-point sermon on Communion Sunday. So, four points. Prayer and obedience, reliance and action, reception and rejection, rejoicing and privilege. Jesus brings 72 of his followers, not 12 plus 60, but 72 just normal, regular followers. Why 72? There's no reason. Although, a little something that might pique your interest, do you know how many people are here today worshiping? Yeah, I don't either, but wouldn't that have been cool? Uh, so uh, there's no reason. He just recorded, why 72? Because they, they recorded that. Someone was there, someone counted. They're like, oh, look, there's 36 groups of two. That's 72. I can do math. Good job. And so they recorded some. Now, some earlier scribes wanted it to be significant, so they changed it to 70. Or they say, oh, no, here's the number of 70. There's 70 nations or the 70 elders who, who joined Moses. But it was 72, and that's just how many there were, and it's not very significant. That's not the important part of the passage. Jesus gives these 72 instructions for going out into the kingdom, and the first instruction he gives them is that they need to pray and obey. In verses 2 and 3, we see both the why and the starting point. The why, because the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so for us today, we would have to ask, is the harvest still plentiful? Are Are there still people in your lives who need the hope of the gospel? the hope of Christ. Do you know anyone who's burdened by the life that they have? Do you know anyone that's burdened by the life they've chosen? Have the things that they've set up to define who they are and their, 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 their importance, have those things started fading and left them wanting and lacking? Have they wondered, is this it? Is this all there is? Do you know anyone who's burdened by aging parents or sick children, anyone who's burdened by uh, the relationship they have with their teenage child, 
who just seems more and more disinterested in anything. People who are facing health issues and heart issues and broken marriages and the reality of all of their own fears and failures. I'd say the harvest is still pretty vast today. Jesus invites all who labor and are weighed down and offers them rest. Do you feel overwhelmed? Do you feel weighed down? Come to Jesus and he says, I'll give you rest. Do you know anyone in your life that's overwhelmed or weighed down? Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. And so the first thing Jesus says is pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers out into the harvest. We hear mission reports often in churches about missionaries, or you get an email from a friend who's a missionary, and they always say the same thing, don't they? They start with the most important thing, or the first thing you could do is pray for us. And we read that and think that's the mandatory, we can't make it all about money, and so, of course, what we really need is, but don't do that. Don't do that to prayer. Don't do that to the Lord of the harvest. Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. He is the one, he's the only one that will affect the harvest. Pray. You are asking the God who delights in saving sinners to simply do what he delights to do. You know, no lack of funds is going to undermine God's will. And no abundance of funds is going to force God's hand. So pray. And then, see if you're not the answer to your prayer. I mean, as you pray that God would send, maybe God is sending you. It's interesting, he tells you 72, pray that the Lord will send, I'm sending you. All in the same sentences right there. He says, go your way. I am sending you. I hope, I hope each of you is already praying for the harvest, the, uh, for, the, for the fall festival at the end of October. We should be. We should all be praying about the fall festival. Last year, we expected 100 people, and we got over 300 people. So this year, we're expecting 300, and we're hoping for 500. Like, we want to just fill this parking lot with people in our community just so we can care for them and love on them and show them that, like, hey, Christians have good times too. It's one thing to say that you're praying for the fall festival. It's another thing to open your eyes and say, I wonder if God could use me to answer the prayer I just prayed. As I pray for the volunteers, maybe I could volunteer. I know it's shocking to think, but that's how Jesus addresses the disciples. Pray that the Lord will send those out into the field. Oh, by the way, I'm sending you out into the field. And so we pray, but we also, we are obedient to the call. Second, there's reliance and action. In verses 4 to 12, these instructions impress on the laborers to trust the Lord of the harvest. Trust that God is the one who's really uh, in control right now. Trust him to provide for you. You know, don't bring a knapsack. Don't bring extra sandals. Don't bring 
you know, don't even, there's an urgency to it also. He's not saying be rude, don't talk to people, don't talk to strangers. He's saying don't stop and greet each other, you know, and you know how, why this happens. Like when you see someone in the grocery store, but you're there for like four things and you want to get in and get out, and you see someone that you know, and so maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't, turn and go down the other aisle. And it's not because you don't like them, but you know this 10-minute trip just turned into 40 minutes if you say hello. Because there's going to be the, hi, how are you? How are your kids? What are they up to? And you're not allowed to just answer. They're only asking so that you will then ask them all of those same questions. And then they get to tell you all about their kids. And sometimes those are wonderful conversations. Jesus says, sometimes there's an urgency to what you're doing, though. And going and doing the work of the harvest, there's an urgency to it. So don't even greet people in the road. Get out there and get working. Don't pack, don't delay. He says, bring peace. Bring the peace of God. Heal the sick. Do whatever you can for those who are in need. You know, is it prayers that they need? Is it encouragement that they need? Is it just someone to talk to? Do they just need someone to talk to who would listen to them? Do they need... Do they need a meal or a babysitter or a laundry? Just do it. Go and bring the peace of God into their lives. Bring some hope into their lives. And do it in the name of the kingdom of God. Like, don't let caring for each other, don't let that opportunity go by that you don't explain, this is because of what God has done for me. This is because of how much I have been cared for and provided for. It gives me opportunity to care for others. When you do it, he says, tell them that the kingdom has come near to you. It's all because of Jesus, because Jesus is on his way. This is all just preparatory so that you might meet Jesus. Well, what if they don't want to hear it? And this is stunning. He says, well, move on. <laughs> There's nothing fancy. There's no instruction. It's just like, uh, yeah, you go talk to someone else. Because so, there's plenty of people that want to hear it. Like, don't, don't worry about if they don't want to hear it again. Who is the Lord of the harvest? God is. So offer the peace of God. If they don't want it, then just like, hey, okay, that is fine. Those who reject God's kindness and mercy. And this is where it gets difficult. Like, we'd like to skip over this part, but you, the kingdom of God does bring judgment for those who despise it. There will be a coming judgment from Jesus one day. And the rejection of God's peace means that you only have in store for you God's justice. He says it will be they will have wished that they had lived in Sodom, that Old Testament city that uh, was burned by fire for their sin. Jesus says, just trust me and act. The results or, or what it looks like, the, the impact that you think you should be having, don't worry about that. You just, you, you, are, you be faithful. You bring peace. You bring the work of the kingdom. There is a plentiful harvest, yes. And there's also a Lord of the harvest, and He is in control. 
You know, what is it that we're supposed to be doing? You know, moms of young children sometimes feel like, you know, what, what am I doing here? Like, I feel like I'm sidelined. I feel like I'm not doing anything. I'm not, I'm not involved anymore. Trust God and act, Jesus says. You don't know the, the importance of what you do to bring peace the peace of Jesus Christ into your home and to speak of the beauty of the kingdom of God to your own children and to whomever God puts in your lives. Young adults, maybe you're feeling like, who am I? I can't talk about these things. I don't, like my life is a wreck. I have no peace in my own heart. Well, who was Jesus accused of hanging out with? Wasn't it prostitutes and tax collectors and people who, whose lives were kind of messy, kind of a wreck. I doubt any of these 72 had plaques on their walls that they had won. They are the three-time Bible drill champion in their Sunday school classes. Like these people were attracted to Jesus and, it, and he changed their lives from the inside out. You remember Paul's encouragement. Listen, don't you remember that the, 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 the unrighteous are not going to inherit the kingdom of God? And that's what some of you were. But you've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been justified and sanctified in the Lord, name of the Lord Jesus. And so we... We trust and we act. And the reason we do that is because of the response. There will be some who receive and some who reject. There's reception and there's rejection in verses 8 to 16. You know, think about this. From the rest of the gospel accounts and then the epistles and everything that's written in the New Testament and then even everything we know about the spread of Christianity for the last 2,000 years, uh, there are and always have been and always will be those who receive the offer and those who reject it. And there's more who reject it than receive it. That's still true today. How amazing is it that the 72 come back and they're so overjoyed with the positive responses that they don't even talk to Jesus about how many times they were rejected. We don't know how many towns they had to clap their sandals together and walk out of. We don't know how many houses they'd be like, okay, never mind, I will, I'll be over here. Sorry, I am sorry. All we hear about is the positive experience of those who received them. But the rejection was and is real. And if we deceive ourselves, or if we don't listen to Jesus about the rejection of the world, there's only two things that can happen. Like, we're either going to be completely burned out and overwhelmed because we're going to feel like it's on me to get them all to change. It's on me to fix this. It's on, you know, it's on our church to, to completely overhaul the culture of Stafford County. And if, it, and if after 10 years or 20 years, well, we've been here 15 years, and, and it, like Stafford County is not a whole lot better than it was when we first got here, what are we doing? 15 years in, and we can't see that like Stafford is a beacon of hope on the hill? Like, that, should, that would fill us with despair. 
If we think it's on us to just change the world in that way rather than that we go into the lives of others and we, and we affect one another one person at a time. We can change Stafford County maybe one soul at a time, though. But you'll either be overwhelmed and probably quit or you'll become jaded and cynical and probably quit. You look at the brokenness and say, God doesn't care. Why am I doing this? And you'll become cynical, and you'll become hard, and you'll quit. Jesus says, leave the judgment of those who reject your message of peace to me. And he even goes on, he says, like, listen, he starts talking about Chorazin and Bethsaida. How amazing is it that Chorazin, the only time we hear about Chorazin is in this sentence. It's a town up there near Gal- in Galilee, near Capernaum and Bethsaida. And we know nothing about them. Other than that, apparently, Jesus did miracles there. And they didn't really care. And that's all we know. And then Bethsaida. This is where the feeding of the 5,000 took place. And they loved the lunch, but not so much the Lord. He says, if these things had been done in Tyre and Sidon, Old Testament uh, Gentile nation-states and cities that, that completely rejected God. He said, if these miracles had been done there, they would have repented in dust and ashes. There's going to be rejection. Even from the places you expected to be received. Remember, Jesus hasn't even sent the disciples outside of Israel yet. These are God's people. The people raised in the covenant of God rejecting their covenant Savior. Most of you know the story of Jim, who from early teens wanted one thing, to be a missionary. He just wanted to spread the gospel and see lives changed. And so... It even affected how he dated. Uh, When he was dating a young woman uh, in college, he told her up front, I think on their first or second date, if I remember, that he was going to be a missionary. If she wasn't, they should stop now. And so they finished school and then moved down to, uh, I believe, Ecuador, where he and a couple of others learned Spanish. And where they were in Ecuador, even while they were learning Spanish, people were coming to the Lord in this town, in these villages. They were, uh, they were having an impact already, but his heart was for the unreached people, specifically for the Alca Indians. And you know, if by now you know of Jim Elliott, how he and his, his uh, three partners, one pilot, they spent six days in January just establishing that they were friends to the Alka Indians, dropping gifts from the airplane before they even came in. And then on January 2nd, they, they landed on the beach and spent six days, spent four days, excuse me, just meeting a couple of them 
reaching out to them. And on January 6th, a couple of women came out of the jungle and along with them, the warriors of the Aka tribe. And Jim reached instinctively for the pistol. They all had weapons, but he remembered that he, it was not worth, if all he was doing was killing an unbeliever to save his own life, it would be a bad trade in his mind. And he died. And his three partners, all four. And it sounds useless and it sounds hopeless and it sounds like what was the point until we realized that Elizabeth Elliot then went back and years later they reorganized the outreach to the Alka Indian tribe and many in the village came to Christ. There's going to be rejection. There's going to be reception. Jim Elliot is the one who coined the phrase, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Which brings us to the rejoicing in the privilege. We know that Jim is rejoicing over the salvation of those Alka Indians. The 72 come back in verses 17 to 24. They're pumped. They're excited. They're eager to share with Jesus. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. It's not that they're arrogant. They recognize this is all because of Jesus' name. They're just excited. They want to share. And Jesus is excited. He confirms it's a big deal. Verse 18, he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. What you guys did is proof that the gospel is true. Like this was a blow to Satan. It was the reality of what they were able to do in Jesus' name meant that he was going to be victorious. That his victory in the future had consequence for them right now. Just like his victory in the past has consequence for you and I right now. Satan fell like lightning. But then he goes on, he says... But don't rejoice in this. Don't rejoice in this. Remember your real joy. Your names are written in heaven. What a great reminder that our salvation isn't based on how great we are working for Jesus. He says, listen, before you did any of that, your names were written in heaven. That's not to say like we shouldn't rejoice. It's more like don't rejoice like what he'll say or has already said in Luke, you know, if you don't hate your mother and father, you can't be my disciple. It's, it's like it's a reminder that your joy, your greatest joy is in your salvation that came from God, not from you. That, that should be your rejoicing. It's amazing that Jesus, who said, you know, leave the rejection to me, he also seems to model, also leave the rejoicing to me. It's like Jesus says, hey, don't get so, you know, in the Han Solo language, great kid, don't get cocky. Uh, And then Jesus turns around and rejoices. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? He's like, okay, calm down. Your real joy is in 
your name's written in heaven. Then he's like, Father, did you see that? Jesus is proud of them. He rejoices in them. He rejoices in the Holy Spirit, verses 21 to 22. He rejoices. He says, you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to children. Now, if he was praying that in front of them, like, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to be like, hey, wait wait a second. I think he called us not wise and understanding. If I'm adding this up. Yes! Yes, that's what he's calling you. He's calling you children. These things have been given to children. We need to receive these things as children. It's not because of your merit. It's not because of your work. It's not because of how great and awesome you are. It's because of how great and awesome he is. We don't... We don't spread the kingdom or share the gospel truths out of a sense of arrogance, out of a sense of, you should be more like me, out of a sense of, well, I mean, like, I mean, I get it. You'll probably not get it because, but our our spreading the kingdom is because of the grace and mercy that, that God would save a wretch like me. Of course he can save you. We don't share or spread the kingdom from a place of the haves versus the have-nots. It's, it's not from a position of supremacy, being holier or wiser or better. But as, as one pastor put it, it's, it's simply one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. And then trusting the God who delights in saving sinners to do what he delights to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you for your goodness to us. That you, that you were sent from heaven and that we We are the beneficiaries of you coming. God, would you move us, move in our hearts that we would pray for the lost, pray for the harvest, that we would seek ways that we might be the answers to those prayers. Grant that we would hear your call and obey, that we would rely and trust on you and act. Help us to always, first and foremost, rejoice in the salvation you've worked for us by your gracious will so it would move us to love others. In Jesus' name, amen.